In this week's episode, Minette Norman, who is a consultant and author, will be chatting about everything from Hershey's new bilingual management facility to 911 dispatchers in Montreal and much more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Minette, thank you for joining me. Please introduce yourself. Thanks for having me, Bernadette. It's great to be here the, as the first guest of the new year, kicking off the new year with some positivity because there's so much negativity in the news all the time. So I'm happy to participate. So uh, I, as you said, I'm a consultant now. I focus on inclusive leadership and my goal is really to help leaders be better and create inclusive organizations. And I come to this work very recently. I just started this business a few years ago. I was in the software industry for 30 years. And that's really what informed me doing this work is like being part of teams that were not inclusive, leading teams, trying to be inclusive and learning how hard that was and what skills I didn't have and needed to get along the way. And so when I finally left after 30 years in 2019, I realized I want to help other leaders because I think so many leaders really want to do the right thing, but have no clue where to start, get really overwhelmed and get paralyzed. And mm -hmm. so my work is all focused on what are the self-aware actions you can do as a leader to, to really create an atmosphere where everyone, and, and I'm, I focus on all aspects of diversity. I'm not zoning in on any one. So where anyone can feel that they can do their best work in this organization. And as you said, I'm an author. I have two books coming out. One is already available for pre-order that I co-wrote, The Psychological Safety Playbook. And my second book, The Boldly Inclusive Leader, comes out later this year. So it's a big year for me. That's fantastic. For the folks who are on LinkedIn watching this, would you mind sharing your book? You held it up for me a few minutes ago. Beautiful. The Psychological Safety Playbook, Lead More Powerfully by Being More Human with Caroline Helbig, my wonderful co-author. And I, yeah, you can order it right now on any of the online retailers. Congratulations. That is fantastic. For those folks who are listening who don't know what psychological safety is, can you define it? Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I borrow heavily from Amy Edmondson, who's the Harvard researcher who's really focused on this topic for decades. But it is the belief that in this group, because it's a group phenomenon, in this group, in this team, I can show up as myself. I can ask a question. I can make a mistake without fear of being humiliated or excluded. So I think if you don't know the term, that's okay. You know the feeling because we've all had this feeling of like in this group, I really can show up and I can ask those hard questions and I can show when I don't know something, but often, and this is what I experienced in the corporate world, it's quite rare. And we're really sitting back a lot of the time going, 
Ooh, do I dare speak? You know, do I dare disagree with the prevailing sort of opinions at the table? I'm not going to ask a question because that's going to show that I may be, you know, not knowing something and that's going to expose my vulnerability. And we're all weighing this so much of the time. And the more you are not in the dominant group, and you know, if in, in like for example, in tech where it's primarily white male at the at the top, which is changing, but I certainly saw that a lot. If you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you feel in any way other, you're going to be the one who holds back because you feel like, oh, I don't want to expose myself. So it's something that is so fundamental to successful teams because if you have that basis, then everyone can bring their diverse perspectives, which is what we all need for business success. So that's in a nutshell, psychological safety. I think it's incredibly important. And as you said, um, Amy, aid me. Edmondson is a huge leader in this field, and I was very curious or inspired by her study, actually, that that she co-authored that showed that teams with both psychological safety and diversity outperform teams that lack psychological safety yet are still diverse. And I think that's for the reason you just said, right? Yeah. And it's not surprising to me. I mean, it's something that I just intrinsically have seen, right? Like, yes, the more you can leverage diverse talent, diverse ideas, the better you're going to do. But that's just not possible without that foundation of psychological safety. And so that's where I really start the work a lot with leaders is like first their self-awareness of their own behavior and what they can do to contribute to that foundation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that, you know, when we hear these sort of promises of the rewards of diversity and the increase in profitability and and all of that stuff, it's not really possible without psychological safety or psychologically safe teams. No, that is right. That is right. That is absolutely right. That's where the innovation occurs, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this week's five things. So this week's good vibes. So the first story comes from the Hershey Company, which recently turned one of its manufacturing plants entirely bilingual. At this plant, all training is now in both English and Spanish. All signs, labels, and forms are in both languages. There are bilingual employees on the floor to help with communication. And what I think is really notable here, all of that is great, but what's really notable to me is that this program was developed in conjunction with the Hershey Latine Business Resource Group. So it was created by Latine employees for Latine employees, right? So it's for it's created for the people that it's um, benefiting. And I think that's really fantastic. And as a result, Hershey has seen increased diversity, higher retention rates, and reduced recruitment costs. Love this story. I love this story too. And for the reasons you cite, I mean, first of all, that co-creation, it wasn't like top leadership developed this program and totally left out the Latine population, Mm -hmm. right? So this was a co-created thing. But I think the thing that jumped out at me the most about it was in their recruitment, not only their costs going down, but that they're getting, I forget what the percentage was, but they're getting like 70 or 90% qualified employees Mm. with manufacturing background. And before they were getting less than 50%. And what that just reinforces for me is that if you create the conditions, 
the pipeline is there, right? You just don't know how to find them if you're not offering, for example, the job descriptions and job ads in Spanish and doing the recruitment in Spanish. This is so true in other industries too, where they say like, oh, well, we can't hire women in tech because there are not enough women out there. But the way we're doing it is just, you know, backwards. We're not actually doing something that's going to attract women. So I love this story. I think they, they really did it very, very well. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's a, a fantastic point about the talent is already there, right? And and when we change the systems, in this case, we make everything bilingual. In cases of attracting more women to tech, that could be writing more empathetic job descriptions, including things like interview schedules in advance, things like nursing facilities on site, which could include more pregnant women for the interview process that's in person. There are lots of things that can be done in the systems to make them more equitable, which will then increase diversity. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a really good story to start with. I like that. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So the next story comes from Montreal, Canada, in which 911 dispatchers are learning to stop racial bias calls. So this is one of the first programs in North America with the training to help operators detect bias when they're in conversation with callers. So for example, if a 911 caller calls in and is describing a situation and using racially charged terms or racial descriptions or even veiled racist descriptions like ghetto or gangs, et cetera, they're being trained to detect that and not share that with the police. Because if the 911 operators are sharing the caller's racist language with the police, then the police are going to then, not always, but continue to kind of perpetuate the bias that started with the caller. So it's a way to reduce bias within um, and racial profiling. Very cool. Oh, I agree. And I think I think it's complex. It's really positive and also complex uh, because, you know, as you read the article, there's some discussion about like, this is difficult. We're starting the conversations because it's not sort of this one and done thing like, okay, now I know how to recognize racial profiling in language on calls, um, but to, to at least get that awareness out there so that it's not, because I think part, some of the pushback is like, I'm just passing through the information. Right. You know, they said a, a group of gang members were harassing me. Like, I'm just passing that along, but are you decoding it? So I think I think it's really important. And, you know, of course, it, it recalls the whole story that people are familiar with, with the, uh, the bird watcher in Central Park, mm-hmm. who was a black man and the white woman who called 911 and saying, I'm being harassed by a black man turned out the guy you know the story there was that her dog was off leash and scaring the birds in central park and he said i'm gonna you know put the leash on your dog but it turned into this big racial event so i think that that is important i think that the caller you know could have been screened very easily if they had asked some questions like what are the actions this person is doing right now as opposed to blowing it up into i'm being assaulted which you know she retracted those words so i think this training is really important and i think it needs to be ongoing conversation because it's not straightforward sometimes absolutely not and i hope that a lot of other municipalities throughout north america and beyond um, start doing the same thing yeah. Yeah. The more, I think this needs to spread. I'm, I mean, it's interesting that it's in Canada, that it's starting, that there's nothing in the U.S. yet uh, in yeah. terms of this kind of training. And I think we need it desperately. Absolutely. Okay. The next story is about the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, which is removing all Confederate memorials 
on campus, including one which is an image of an armed woman with a KKK or Ku Klux Klan written below. I mean, Minette, I'll be honest. Some of these stories that I find, I'm like, there are still Confederate monuments at West Point. Like, I can't even believe this sometimes. But progress is progress. And I'll take it. Yeah, that was my feeling. Like, really, it's about damn time, you know? It, yeah. It's still these, like, that we can just still have Ku Klux Klan memorabilia on campuses and, and Robert E. Lee statues lionizing, you know, these kind of figures. So to me, it is it is time. It's overdue. What I guess what surprises me at all is that there's any controversy around it and that there are people pushing back saying, no, we need this because we're destroying history. And like, no, you can read about history and it's very important to read about history, but we do not need to have these monuments, you know, to slavery, to racism on our campuses. This is, this should just be done away with. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a black cadet walking around and seeing that. I mean, what? Exactly. It's horrible. Okay. The next story. Yeah, that is... one we could just move on from, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. All right. Well, the next story comes from the White House, which for the first time has its own menorah. And in their Hanukkah celebrations, this menorah was then added to the permanent collection. In the past, every menorah has been borrowed or loaned to the White House. So I think this is another it's about damn time, but I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yes. So this one for me is both personal and political. And so on the personal level, I'm Jewish. And I remember, you know, my whole childhood, there was only Christmas everywhere. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, unless you grew up in New York City, where there were a lot of other Jews, I grew up in California, it was very rare to see a menorah or any signs of Judaism. So in a way, it's lovely. And I think it is time that they had their own. And it's great that there are more than just Christmas icons being shown in the White House. But I guess for me, where it's complicated is that it's also religion in the White House. And, you know, I truly believe in separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And then if you bring in a menorah, who are you excluding? What religions are you excluding now? Like, you know, we don't have other symbols of other religions in there. And how far do you go? And so I guess I have I have both positive and, and mixed reactions to it. I think it's good. I mean, I wouldn't say don't have your own menorah. If you've been bar if the White House has been borrowing a menorah for decades and centuries, yes, have your own. And then figure out how to not have this be excluding other religions and how to be really inclusive, especially around Christmas time. You know, it's just like that's such a Christian time of year. And anyone who doesn't identify as Christian feels excluded. I agree. I agree. Thank you for that additional perspective. I think you're absolutely right. And I'll be curious to to see how they continue to promote inclusion within religions going forward. Um, so we'll see. And if there are more ways that other religions are included in the White House, for better or worse, you'll hear about them on five things. Okay, the last story is about the EX Manifesto, which stands for the Employee Experience Manifesto, created by leaders from companies such as Patagonia and Airbnb, with principles to elevate business performance through employee well-being. So, Minette, I know you have some strong feelings on this. As a former tech employee and Silicon Valley type person, what what are you what's your take here? Well, I was so curious when you included that because I hadn't heard about it. So I, I read it, I downloaded it, I looked at it. And I think, yes, on the surface, great employee experience that is employee-centered and human-centered and co-creative, all of those words are great. But it also sounded like 
buzzword bingo to me, mm. um, which is something we played a lot in Silicon Valley, <laughs> like a lot of buzzwords. And where's the reality? Is this actually, it, it just seemed very surface level to me when I read the actual descriptions, there are seven things in the manifesto and you can read each one of them. Now, for example, one of them is taking a human centered approach. And how could you argue with that, right? But what does it mean if you drill down and click down into what is a human-centered approach? There's a lot there to unpack. And I think that just by having a phrase about it, it's not going to happen. And so, um, you know, there are other things in there like design with employees, not for employees. Of course, yes, let's do that. And then measure, uh, measure it. How are you going to measure this stuff? So all of it, I think, is great. And I'm not opposed to it. However, I've seen you know, being in companies and seeing other companies and now consulting, I mostly consult with tech companies. There's a lot of this where people have, they have, you know, they have culture codes, they have their own manifestos. And too often it's just words on a website or in an internet page. And you're not, the companies are not living and breathing these values and, you know, the terms of the manifesto. So I would say yes. And there's a lot of work behind each of those seven things. And so if the companies that are signing on to it are willing to continuously invest in that work, that's fantastic. If, however, they're putting it up on their intranet or extranet and then not following up on it, then I actually think it's more damaging because it's so hypocritical. So for me, it's a cautionary tale of great stuff, dig deeper, do the work, and then we'll see. Yeah, I, I hear that. Absolutely. The part that gives me the most optimism about that story is that Patagonia is one of the forces behind it. And I really love how they have always stood up for their employees. They have a super high retention rate and obviously they do a ton for the environment. So they sort of have the credibility and the heft and the weight. <laughs> I agree with you. They are, they are really a pinnacle of, of living and breathing those values and things. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it'll be something that we keep an eye on. And I think that we're going to start having a lot more conversations about EX employee experience in the years to come. So We'll keep checking in on that topic. Minette, thank you so much for joining me today. How can folks find you and connect with you? Yes. So the uh, easiest place is just to go to my website, MinetteNorman.com. It's M-I-N-E. Oh, you have my name here. M-I-N-E-T-T-E-N-O-R-M-A-N. Or you can email me, Minette at MinetteNorman.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect. And thank you so much for having me. It was a good conversation. I feel like we could have gone so much deeper into all of it. but it's I know. Those 15 minutes go quickly, don't they? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to 5 Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my 5 Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.